You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Hello, beautiful people. This is Rajiv, and you're listening to Photo Country. This is a show where we talk to image makers who are making a difference here in New Zealand and around the world. That's one thing I love is talking about photography and to photographers. This week, we are talking to Susan Blick, a travel and landscape photographer from Australia and New Zealand, who is currently based out of Istanbul, Turkey. Before COVID struck, she used to run regular photo tours to India, China and the South Island. Susan was also the NZGO landscape photographer in 2015 and at the Prix de la Photographie Paris in 2016, she was awarded gold in the travel and tourism category for her image, The Church, of New Zealand's Church of the Good Shepherd. More recently, her picture of a twee cloud over Mount Cook was celebrated on the internet. So here is Suzanne Blick. Hey, thanks, Susan. Thanks for coming uh, on the show. Thank you for having me. The pleasure is all mine. In fact, when I started uh, photography, about three, four years ago, when I picked up my first Pentax K01, secondhand from Auckland Camera Center, I was looking at various photographers and their portfolios, and your website was one of the first ones that I saw, actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, yeah. that's good. I'm glad someone's seeing it. <laughs> yeah. Although it's a plus. Right. In fact, uh, I mean, I was looking at, at one point, seriously going into maybe doing a part-time course. And I looked at where you actually studied, just in Palm North, I suppose. No, it was in Auckland. They had a campus in Auckland. They have a studio here. Yeah. Or there, I should say. Now I'm thinking I'm back in Auckland. Yeah. Yeah. No, in, what is that suburb? Newmarket. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure if they're still there, but that's where it was when I... Yeah, I don't think they have a presence in uh, Auckland anymore. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. So is that where your journey started? Oh, no. Long before that. I started back, God, in the 80s with my father, who was a photographer. He was a tourism photographer in Australia. And we had a dark room in our house. And yeah, I started back then, but I didn't really get into it very much. It was just kind of tagging along every now and then. And um Got myself a Pentax, a Pentax MG back in those days, film camera. And yeah, after some time hanging out with my father, I got a bit tired of that and kind of gave it away and went on life's journey. And it wasn't until 2011 when I did some serious travel, world travel, that I was quite disappointed in the camera. I was just kind of dragging around a little point and shoot. And when I got back, I was quite disappointed in the images. So I knew I could do better. So I bought myself a DSLR. That was my first DSLR. And yeah, from then it's just grown. Landscape and travel have always been my love, passion. And yeah, I've just been following it ever since. So I I know that you're a travel photographer. So how did that the, the travel bug bite you? And how did writing happen? Well, transitions of necessity. I became an English teacher as a career because I wanted to travel. I traveled and the tr- like what happens, the travel bug bites you and you can't stop traveling. So I needed to find a way to uh, earn money and travel. So I went back to Australia and studied teaching and got a couple of degrees in English teaching. So then I could live abroad and travel 
And after a while, I got tired of teaching because it wasn't really my love. So I started teaching photography. So I used the teaching skills I'd learned with the photography I knew and started doing workshops in Auckland. And uh, that built to photo tours to India and China and the South Island and just gradually morphed. Being a teacher too, I could write. So I started writing about the places I went to. And now because of COVID, I can't lead photo tours anymore. So what's left? Travel writing. And actually I'm trying to morph again into social media content creation, more behind the scenes stuff. What made you transition out of New Zealand? So I knew that you flew to Dubai and then for onwards travels. Was it out of necessity again that you, you well, moved out of New Zealand? Well, basically unemployment. When the borders shut, I was ready to leave the country because myself and my partner were headed to Myanmar for work and for photography. Three days before our flight, the borders closed in March. So we couldn't take our flight. We got locked down. We were homeless because we'd given up our apartment. We'd sold our car and we were living in a hostel because we were three days from departing New Zealand for a year in Myanmar. Yeah, so terrible timing. So we had nothing. So I went and got a job in construction at 54 years of age as a female who's never done manual labor before. So that was quite backbreaking and not very fulfilling for someone who's trained in other areas, but you do what you have to do. And obviously right. at my age, I can't keep that kind of work up. So um, also after struggling in construction, found a job as a chef at the Hermitage on the South Island, which bided us some time. But after that, we just couldn't take this anymore. Yeah, let's get out of here and rebuild. I mean, I've lived in seven different countries previously. It's not new to me to go abroad and start a life again. And hence, that's what I'm doing. I've recently got residency here in Turkey and I just had my first fax yesterday. So I'm ahead of the game. Good for you. So did you get both the doses or just the first no, one? No, just my first one yesterday. First one. Okay. So um, in three weeks, I'll get the second. So what can you do? Necessity pushed us out of New Zealand. It looks like an endless lockdown there for the borders, right. I mean. Yeah. Many people are content and it was quite nice. We spent six months on the South Island, which was wonderful, but enough's enough. I had to get out. I was going crazy. I was getting depressed. I just can't be like that. I've spent most of my life abroad and traveling and I just don't want to be confined. So how's been the move to Istanbul? I think it's a beautiful place to be. It's a really beautiful city. It's a stunning city and it's very cosmopolitan. It's completely open. All flights are coming in, even from, let's say, hot countries such as India and Bangladesh currently. Turkey's got a good vaccination program. We wear masks whenever we're out in public. And I've been traveling for five months. I've been on seven flights and been to five countries. And touch wood, I haven't caught COVID. So I'm ready to morph again and do more right. maybe social media producing, copywriting. So slightly moving out of travel writing into copywriting, just seeing where it takes me. Thankfully, Turkey's a very generous country and offered me residency. Awesome. That's good news, Susan. So, well, so what excites you about being a travel photographer slash writer? Well, exploring. I just can't stop exploring. I've got an insatiable curiosity to go new places. And even if I go to the same place again, I like to delve deeper. The more often you visit somewhere, the deeper you get into that place. And yeah, it's just some innate curiosity, I guess. 
that makes you want to do these things. And the more different the culture is from mine, the more I enjoy it. So that's why I've spent a lot of time in India, in China, in other nations. I find them interesting. So obviously in those places, the travel photography is spontaneous. It's happening there on the street in front of you, like life is evolving. You're living in the moment. Often when I live in the West, Australia or New Zealand or wherever, I'm always thinking, oh, waiting for the weekend or for the holidays or never living in the now. Yet as soon as you step into a city like Istanbul or New Delhi or Jakarta, you're right in the moment. I guess it's just that need for stimulation and that provides photographic opportunity. Exactly. So that's what I was alluding to in my next question. How do you capture those moments? How do you, what shall I say, be the right moment at the right time? <laughs> Just having your camera with you all the time and being very quick with the settings, especially with street, having your camera on shutter priority, being ready on the street to get those shots. Often in New Delhi, I would find a spot to sit on a busy corner and I would just sit there for half the day out the front of a police booth or a little guard station or something and you just watch life go by. So it was quite easy to capture those everyday life shots that are so unusual to Westerners but are just normal life to other parts of the world. But they're what makes those countries so interesting because it's so different. Especially places like India, people are curious. Yeah, well, that's right. But they're also so cheerful and so accommodating. You go to Europe. I was just in Ukraine um, a couple of weeks ago. And you point a camera at a person and they're like, get that out of my face. What are you doing? Whereas in India, people love to be photographed. As soon as they, you motion the camera to them as if you're going to take a shot to kind of ask them. And they're all for it. And before they know it, they've got five friends with their arms around each other, all wanting <laughs> selfies and whatnot. So it makes photography very enjoyable and easy, quite frankly. You've lived in uh, so many countries. It's shot in so many places, but is there a place where you really enjoyed shooting and is there a place where it was really a big challenge? Well, I mean, India, obviously, I've been there so many times and led quite a few photo tours there. Obviously, India, I, I love shooting there. There's so much to shoot, whether it's fantastic historical sites, the people, the street, it's just landscapes. It's an amazing place to shoot. So India is definitely a favorite shooting location. Difficulties, I would say anything that's a little European because you can't get the human element so easily. Like I said, People don't really want to be in your shot. You point the camera and first thing they do is put their hand up over their face or wave you away or try to get out the road. Whereas in India, you can easily get that man walking in front of a building or something to give that human element to the shot. Whereas Europe, it's quite challenging in that way. I was in Albania not long ago and I don't think I virtually haven't got a shot with a person in it. And same in Ukraine, which I was also in just recently. Yeah, talk to us about the photograph of the Tui that you took over Mount Cook. I'm just really curious how you managed to take such a awesome photograph, such a unique one. Oh my God. Oh, I mean, I was living down in Twizel at the time. So I was venturing into Tasman Lake and the, the Mount Cook area often. And uh, often when it's really windy, you get the 
best kind of skies down there. You get a lot of lenticular clouds and that kind of thing. So um, I'd gone down for a sunset shoot on the Tasman Glacier Lookout, which is a platform that you walk up to and you can see over the lake and the glacier. And you can just see a glimpse of Mount Cook on the left. Yeah, I was just sitting there waiting for sunset. I had my time lapse going and the wind was howling. I was wondering like, what the hell? This is a bit too much to be out for about three hours waiting for sunset and watching all these different cloud formations. And then all of a sudden, these clouds got stuck on the peak of Mount Cook, which is quite normal. They hook onto the one of the peaks and they get dragged with the wind. But this time, bird formed and I was like just sitting there and I took a shot and it wasn't, you know, it was kind of an interesting cloud. And then I took another one, I thought, and looked at the back of my screen and thought, holy hell, that's a bird. And it was gone by the time I'd pulled the camera down, looked at the back of the screen, looked back up again, it was already gone. It was just a freakish moment. And I have the formation of it on a time-lapse. It's a pity it's not on a video because then you would see the entire thing. But with a, I think it was five second time-lapse, you can see the outline of it, but it's not quite as sharp as it is in the image, in the still shot. But yeah, that was just the luckiest I don't know, one of the luckiest days of my life. So when you go to a shoot, go traveling or do any kind of landscape photography, do you have a plan in mind? Or let's say, do you have, hey, I want to take these kind of photographs, like a yeah. vision, or is it just be in the moment and capture what's happening in front of you? What's the process like? When I was lucky enough to live down in Twizel for a couple of months, I would be on Google Maps and constantly looking for locations. Of course, I already knew some good locations, the ones everyone, everyone knows, but I'd get on Google Maps and Google Earth and zoom right in and line that up also with photo pills or other apps and figure out where the sunset's going to happen and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I do a lot of research and I also do a lot of scouting. I just go driving. I do so many kilometers just looking, going off-road, not on the highway, going down dirt tracks across farmer's land and stuff like that, um, looking for locations and scouting them and seeing what's a good composition and then coming back when I thought the sky was going to be nice that evening or the light or something like that. So yeah, I do an enormous amount of scouting heaps absolutely heaps and I do that on my international photo tours as well I go everywhere before I take people and I'm always looking for new locations as well so everything's pretty well researched you're a, a professional travel photographer writer but having this pandemic happening and uh, you also have a lot of this climate change things happening as well a lot of locations getting affected because of that as well how do you see the whole travel photography field in the future? Well, I think uh, photography is going to, for most people, be taken over by mobile phones. And I also think that Instagram and influencers are ruining photography. I'm a great believer in not tagging these days, not tagging the location of where I shoot if I find somewhere special, because the amount of people that them visit those places is detrimental to the places. So um, I really support people um, not geotagging their photos. I think it's heading towards the mobile realm because mobile phones are getting so good. And in fact, I've even considered selling my cameras and just getting the top of the range mobile, top of the range with regard to camera quality, that is, and just shooting everything on phone. Their phones are getting so good. 
But on the other hand, the catch-22 of that is everything on mobile goes on social media. So, And social media, I think, is evil. So unfortunately, though, we've got to play the game. That is the game, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Mean, Necessary if, evil, I guess. <laughs> yeah. If you don't put your stuff out there, it's no good on your own hard drive. Oh, I've got right. this great photo on my hard drive, but no one's seen it. I mean, it's superfluous. Likes or like dopamine hits. Yeah. You kind of get sucked into that rabbit hole. Uh. You do. You do. It's funny. The um, social media platforms got us all addicted to these likes and comments and whatnot. And now they changed the, seriously this time, they've changed the algorithm and no longer do most of your followers even see your posts. So so yeah. you're not getting these likes. So they've kind of got us addicted to this. And now we're all wondering, what are we supposed to do next? Like, why make a platform? And you're getting popular and then all of a sudden it's not working anymore. I, d I don't know. I just find it quite stressful if you worry about it. That's the thing. I mean, especially from a business point of view or you're trying to get your name out there or, or something like this. A lot of people spend a lot of money and time building their social media. I, I'm not sure what Mark Zuckerberg's doing at the moment, but he's ruining <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> I wish right. he'd bugger off. So stepping back a little bit and going back to your images, do you do a lot of post-processing on your photographs or is it just a light touch and mostly you want to keep it real because it's travel photography? I'm not one of these even photographers these days that like to sit down and spend hours fiddling over a photo. I pretty much got a few presets that I use and I pretty much stick those on every photo. I used to be much more into the landscapes and seascapes. And when I did seascapes, I, I thought of it as art and also long exposure landscapes. I, I think of those as art and they require thinking and vision and time in, spent in front of Photoshop or Lightroom or whatever your software is. But when you're doing street or travel, it's quite different. People expect the real, what's there. So there's not really anything to process. You might want to jack up the shadows a bit and take down the highlights, add a bit of contrast, or sometimes even take away some contrast. And depending on the shot, you might add some vibrance or sometimes desaturate it like Chinese shots. I quite like Chinese landscapes a little bit desaturated. I quite like Indian ones with a little bit of pop. So it just goes with the territory. But when it's travel, I don't think that there's not much room for post-processing. It's kind of documentary and you shouldn't. When right. it's landscape or it's uh, a seascape, well, of course, that's like painting. You know, that's art. So it's quite different. And unfortunately, due to leaving the most beautiful landscape and seascape country in the world, New Zealand, <laughs> I have very little opportunity now to do that kind of photography. So I'm really in the travel realm at the moment. So that means just plug that preset on and that's pretty much it. So growing up, who were your icons in photography that you follow? Well, um, like Peter Eastway, Australian landscape photographer. New Zealand photographers are among, among the best that don't get much credit really compared to some of the big American photographers. I mean, Lauren, look at Lauren's work. I mean, he does some awesome astro work. Yeah, travel photographer I really like is Jordan Hammond. He's stationed in Bali so he does a lot of Southeast Asian stuff but it's all kind of regurgitated everyone's shooting the same waterfalls the same rice paddies but he does have a really uh, nice 
composition. He's got a nice eye. So that's probably, that's what I like most about certain photographers is how they compose the photo, whether it's an attractive composition. So kind of summarizing our discussion, if someone's come to you saying, I want to get into photography, what would be your advice? Well, sh shoot everything. Shoot everything and see what you like before you buy too much gear. Just get a reasonably cheap DSLR with a kit lens and shoot everything from portraits to landscape to architecture and see what you like first. So many of us have wasted so much money on gear by buying the wrong kind of gear, especially when it comes to lenses and even tripods. So you can save a lot of money by just spending the first year shooting everything and see where your niche is because you need a different kind of lens based on what you like shooting. So Susan, if someone wants to come and have a look at your work and get in touch with you, how can they do that? SusanBlick.com is my uh, webpage. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at SusanBlickPhoto and Instagram, Fomatic, uh, P-H-O-M-A-D-I-C. Yeah, please come and have a look, anyone, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the show, Susan. It was great having you on the podcast. Recently, Susan Blick has started her own YouTube channel documenting her travels on video. It's called Girls on the Loose. So go ahead and check it out. Sounds like a lot of fun. Hope you like this episode. If you like this podcast and want to show your support, just buy me a coffee. Head over to buymeacoffee.com slash photocountry. Appreciate each one of you listening to this podcast. You really keep me going. I will catch you on the next episode. Till then, stay safe and keep clicking. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.